Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. All right, today we got a fun one for you. So this is a little bit about how the sausage is made, I think a little bit, a little behind the scenes action uh, is, is what I like to say. So we've gotten through uh, our first season is what we call it. Uh, you know, it's going to keep going and we're going to have a new episode every week, but it's our first season. So we're really excited about kind of giving a little bit of review of things we've learned, which is not really even enough. You'd have to do like 12 episodes of the things we've learned, and you can listen to all of those if you just go back in time. But nonetheless, today we're going to kind of dive into the nitty gritty and kind of you're going to see how me and Will talk about these things after we record something and we have a call afterwards and we're just talking to each other saying, hey, this was amazing. This was crazy. I can't believe they do that, all this stuff. So you get to see this firsthand now, or at least listen to it firsthand. So uh, I want to kick it off here. Will, what are kind of the common challenges you you would say that the industry is just facing when it comes to AEC? So it was a little all over the board, but I think one of some of the common themes were around people and culture. That was like one big one and like managing their people. Another one, another big one was uh, process, like the amount of communication that has to happen around process and like how much time is spent on process. It's like an ever, it's like a thing that is constantly being approved upon. And then from a financial perspective, you know, Aaron Mills really brought in some good insight around what blows up a company. And the funny thing is that we've talked to a lot of companies and, you know, they look at, they don't know the stuff that's in between going on a project or how things go. And what we found really interesting is, and even out of personal experience, we saw companies blow up, even though they looked like they were building scale, but they blew up, let's say during the pandemic, or they blew up even after the pandemic because of things that they were doing financially, not having that visibility. And then the other one is the companies that have built already some amount of scale, and now they're trying to build more scale, right? And so we're talking a little bit about the challenges that uh, like Joe Fury from Michael Graves and Gary Cosmer uh, from Love It, where their challenges were when doing an acquisition strategically or otherwise in not just where, where the money comes from, but then actually integrating the two companies together so that they work together. There's a, obviously challenges there uh, that are above and beyond just shelling out money for a company. So it's kind of all over the place, but I feel like those, those are the main places. That last point, very interesting. And, and it got me thinking, you know, uh, when you have money, you, you can acquire and that that's good. That's a good thing. Good, good thing to, to be, but people, process and technology still, all those issues still come into play, right? Because it's, if you're purchasing a company that is, you know, behind they're in the, you know, the 1990s of technology, well, that, that becomes very problematic to integrate them into your modern day company. Or if their people, you know, are, are, aren't the right people, or if those, those people aren't in the right seats, or perhaps they just don't have like documented processes to be able to be repeatable. Like that is, I mean, that's huge. And I think 
obviously do your due diligence anytime you're acquiring a company. I think that's pretty straightforward. That was one that I was like, oh man, like that, that layers, you know, it layers the concept of like, if you can scale your company, you also now have to integrate somebody else's culture and everything else that kind of goes with that to make it hum. That's got to be very difficult. So it'd be very exciting to talk to Gary and Joe in the future here to kind of say like, hey, well, how, how, how's that going? How, how'd that work out for you kind of a thing? And on top of that, the last one uh, is just an overarching theme is that change is hard. And uh, I think it really comes down to the core of the human condition is how much change has to happen in order to be able to move forward. And the bigger the difference, whether it's an acquisition, people, culture, et cetera, the bigger the difference between those two aspects, the harder, the longer it, it takes to implement that, right? And the human condition, psychology and all that affects it. So there's a lot of background. Uh, I mean, if you look, there's a whole bunch of aspects across a lot of the people that we talk to on the podcast that really, when you look at the top amount of time that they've been doing this for 20 years, five years, right? There's aspects to that that go, oh, crap, like I didn't realize, you know, that this is how long it took to do some of these things. But if we had started off right away from doing this and we're able to scale faster, right? So there's also the change aspect before actually getting to the point where you can scale faster. Totally. So I want to flip it back to you. So what's the most surprising thing that you've learned? The most surprising thing to me is the journey to get like the, the, these leaders journeys, essentially, you'd have um, like what Amy, right? So like Amy Carpenter from Solterra Tech or Solterra Solar, she started in sales in, in the, the conglomerate. And it was like, hey, I want to like have an exit strategy. Like she goes to the CEO and says, hey, I want to exit. And they're like, how about we just give you the company? Obviously, it's a little bit more than that. But like that concept to me is like, so you walked in saying, all right, I need to figure out how I can leave this company. And then you ended up saying, all right, I'm going to own it in a year. And that's the like, what? Like, so that or even like Gary uh, at Love It, right? Like he, you know, PE guy, all this stuff. And then not, 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 he said he was handy, but not a contractor by any means of the imagination. And then comes in, and is is now the CEO of Love It uh, with the with the founder as a partner, right? Like the, that that to me is like wow. It's not just the contractor that got sick of having a boss that said I can go off and do it myself, which we we we've seen that too. But that's the when we think of this is always like oh that's the journey that you know you go you go to trade school or you know you you get your trade you know your apprentice or you you know you got a union job whatever it is and then you move on and I'm going to be the boss and I'm going to go off on my own. But like, that's only one option. There's, there are a lot of different paths to become a leader in the AEC industry. Not to mention Greg Patch, which basically touched all three aspects, right? Of the industry and is like, well, I know more than most people here. I know probably more than the person that's sitting in front of me. And like, I, I love how humble he is about it. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Like just kind of how he approaches the topic. So I felt like it wasn't just a traditional route. Yes, like you said, the traditional route of, you know, either parents were in it or I was, you know, I was in the industry and then I transitioned into it, uh, you know, just to form my own company. It was definitely all over the board. While I would say probably about, I don't know, 40% of the people were just going that traditional route. The other 60% were in very non-traditional manner. So super cool to kind of hear. 
Yeah, no, wow. even uh, even on the architecture side, Joe, uh, Joe's not an architect. At oh, all. yeah, that's right. CPA. <laughs> like so like it it just kind of across the board. I That to me was very surprising that it wasn't like uh, this is what I've done my whole life and I've trained and all the in. And it's just like, no, there's a lot of different paths to get there. And if you're a good leader, I think that goes to if you're a good leader, you can do a lot of things in a lot of different industries. And that's why it's just really empowering, certainly to to listeners that I've talked to. And then as well as just for me, myself, it's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. So speaking of leadership and people, like what have you observed about people affecting scale? The the big thing, and, and obviously people process technology, right? Like you need all three if you want real scale. I feel like that people piece is really the foundation. Like, you know, like you have to have the right people in the right seats and without that, it doesn't work. You know, they're not going to follow the process. They're not going to utilize the technology. They're, you're not going to be able to get to that place if you just don't have those people that, one, you trust and they're accountable and are going to be able to, you know, meet the metrics you need to meet, but like also a caring factor. Like, I think that that's one big thing that we saw continuously across the board. It was like, yeah, we might be great at process or we might have really great technology, but it was like, we really care about our people and they showed it. And um, like Jeff Myers, his story of like, he was at DS Architecture, went to another firm for a different opportunity, was a horrific culture, did not like it. The, the boss like yelled at him in front of everybody. And like, you know, he jokes, he joked about like, hey, you know, if you don't get on my face, I'm going to kiss you. Kind of like funny thing. Right. And, and then when he went back or, he, you know, he called Dave and, oh man, I forget Dave's last name uh, of DS Architecture. But when he called him and he was like, hey, like, and he, Dave was immediately like, when are you coming back? Like, it's a, it's a people, it's a people game, right? And being able to really care about your people and understand your people. Even Tiffany Sharp, who, who we just uh, just talked to uh, recently, said like, you know, it's, it's the people game. Like, yes, we all buy the same materials. We all use the same tools. We all do those things, but like, man, people, that's the big game changer. And I think that that to me has been so, it's just inspiring. Like, it's just, it's just so cool to like, man, when you get people that want to be there and want to do the right thing, oh man, like you, you just, you get a superpower, you get amazing people to, to do amazing things. Even John Arndt, right? Uh, there's mm-hmm. a leadership aspect of people. I mean, he talked about culture basically before culture was cool and before it was actually a word, right? He you should a- get that on a t-shirt. I talked about culture before it was cool. Like we should, actually, John, if you te- if you email us because you, you listen to the episode, we'll, we'll make it happen for you. We'll send you over 100%. a t-shirt that says that for sure. <laughs> no, I agree. And, and, and I'm certainly not, I feel like everybody we talked to, it was, people are so crucially important. And that's why I think it's really the foundation, right? It's, it's, if you don't have good foundational structure in a building, it it don't matter how great all the rest of it is, right? You need to have that to start building the processes and start stacking the technology to then, you know, go to the moon. Right. And I think that that's certainly the overarching theme that we just heard from all these leaders. There was uh, also a common challenge that I'd heard repeatedly uh, from multiple people, which is sort of the labor shortages. How, what have you heard around labor shortages and how it's being addressed? What'd you find out or what do you think was interesting from kind of that aspect? So first off the top of my head, obviously Sharp Construction, their partnership with the Girl Scouts of Arizona Cactus Pine and Arizona State University, which I gotta love that. I got a little, uh, 
Sun Devil Pride here, right? Their girls can build initiative, I think is, is huge. And obviously this isn't going to fix the labor shortages today. And this isn't going to, you know, but like it is long lasting initiatives like that, that can really change the industry. And I think that that's their game plan. And I'm certainly um, excited to see that initiative grow as well as obviously sharp construction. ASU always, always love to see that stuff there. And I also got an appreciation for the Girl Scouts. I'm a, I'm a boy dad, so I don't, I don't have a daughter, but man, wow. Girl Scouts are amazing. Like they, like they are unbelievably amazing. So, so girls can build obviously a huge thing. Also uh, a future guest is also planning on building a training facility that will help some of this labor, labor shortage stuff, which a little peek in the box there is, it's just interesting. And another more, this is more of like a structural or strategy thing. Um, Chris Winterhalter. So when they started their company, the sixth hire was somebody that was going to do recruiting, like that was going to do that. And for a GC to have the sixth hire be, hey, we're, we need to recruit people like that one just goes and shows, yeah, we're going to scale. There was no, there was no other option, which is amazing. But, you know, him, him just saying, he's like, you know, we felt we were going to scale after a few hires, that position pays for itself. Because if you're paying outside recruiters to find you people like this is this is just what makes sense. So I think that that one interesting thing that somebody could do any GC or any anybody in the industry could do, um, you know, kind of find follow that Chris Winterhalter uh, ideology. Again, you got to believe that you can scale. And I think that that goes to people processing technology. But Doing something like that's interesting. And then obviously the initiatives that uh, some of our guests are, are implementing are just huge for the industry. hundred uh, percent agree. And it's very unique, you know, the unique approaches around people uh, and kind of, I think everyone is seeing the labor shortage issues, right? And they're trying to address it in different ways. Some of them have common causes. Others are very specialized, but no matter what, it's definitely people are trying to address this because it's only getting worse. I hope somebody, some random, you know, young, younger person uh, or, or older person hears an episode of our podcast and thinks I should go into AEC. And that would be cool if we could help that uh, truck along just with the uh, content. Obviously, listen to these leaders that have, have done it from all these different angles. You know, hopefully, hopefully we can have a little influence there too. Yeah, I hope that as well. If one person, uh, if we can prevent a little bit of pain in the industry. Great. I'm happy for that. So what about you? What, you know, what have you observed around companies that are, you know, they're building scale and like what, what their processes kind of bring to the table? Like what, what have you seen, Will? So there's definitely a maturity in processes. Uh, There is a deliberate effort in implementing processes and getting their people to follow those processes. There's a repeatability. There's a lot of thought behind um, really time waste uh, in certain aspects. It's really interesting where uh, like Gary Cosmer, you know, and bringing in sort of the manufacturing, uh, the Toyota Kata, talking about how they stack, you know, uh, stack their, all their trucks with certain types of tools and everyone has it. And same with the, pro- you know, it's kind of their product, the, uh, the Kanban ideologies. So, and even process, what was really interesting around a process is uh, using it as a way, even in sales, to shorten the length of time that it takes for them to, you know, essentially go through their sales cycle. So it's not just bidding, 
right? Or not just engaging with a client, but going, hey, we need to educate you first. So Amy, uh, for example, Amy Carpenter, her company uh, does a lot of education. And then part of that education is really disqualifying those that have not even educated themselves um, because they know that the person probably has very different aspirations or views on how, let's say solar should be installed and how much it actually costs. So setting expectations. So having a process for setting expectations is like, I've definitely seen that repeatable theme in the companies that have built scale because it reduces, it increases trust and reduces the amount of communication issues that are between, you know, owner, GC, CM, you know, and uh, kind of all the people that are involved in that. So it just reduces the amount of time uh, that it takes to do those things because the communication is either more deliberate, more direct, or just better, better suited for how they're doing things. Usually processes are considered repeatable, right? Take box, move it over here, right? And so innovation and creativity, you know, do you think that it's opposite of process because of, you know, repeatable means take, you know, take something that is being done somewhat consistently and then taking that and either automating it or changing it in a way so that it can be documented so anyone can use it. Do you think that creativity is the opposite of process? So one, another peek in the box with uh, Nate uh, Piper, which I think is episodes next week, which we're going to talk about this in massive, uh, massive, in a massive way. This came up in our, in our intro call with him, and it was very interesting to hear his perspective on creativity and how like, you know, if you're building a house, and like, yes, you can build the same house across, you know, the entire neighborhood, 700 houses, they all look the same, but that actually doesn't, it takes away, there's, there's a, there's a component here that takes away from the passion that is building the ability for somebody to differentiate themselves for work to be done in ways that are unique and you, you can stand out. So I think that, um, one, I don't think that they're necessarily, uh, different because historically we've certainly said, Hey, if you're doing custom stuff, that's not scalable. Like you can't, you can't do that. But I think Nate has, I think one, I think Nate's gonna be able to explain it a little better than I can, but I think, um, that's a conversation that we'll leave for next week's episode. Okay. All right. So it's good insight. What about, you know, how are companies then making sure that process uh, stays in place, right? So once you make something kind of cookie cutter, the whole point of having process is then, well, I have an end result or I have a result as a part of that process that I know I can achieve and I can promise someone, whether it's a client, vendor, whatever, uh, I can promise that because of process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, how do processes stay in place? Because companies turn over and stuff like that, you know, what have you seen? I think based on the people we've talked to, training, learning, teaching, like that is huge and it has to be involved. It has to, has to, has to be involved. If you take Hard Rock with Jim at Hard Rock uh, Concrete Cutters, massive safety training, right? Like they, Matt, like massive safety training. Like he'd said, people send their people here to get trained. Like this is like, this is where you go to get trained, certainly if you're in the Chicago area, um, to learn safety, right? So like, I think that that's process, right? Like it's like, well, how do you keep safe on a job site? Or um, even John John Arndt said like, hey, we have uh, DWC University, right? Like we, ha- we're ha- we have a, 
a training platform that essentially says we do things this way. And we have, you have to keep reinstilling those things because um, like we always say like, it takes seven times for somebody to remember something or to learn something, right? So having those pieces in place, I think are, are massive. I also think that, you know, it comes to individuals, right? So like we talk about right people and right, right seats. I think that those that want to learn and those that are want to be better are going to look for the opportunities to do that. I know both Tiffany Sharp and Greg Patch, both of them will take time to teach somebody a, a skill. Like they, like they're happy to, Hey, like you got to put in time and you got to, you got to do some things, but they'll take time out of their day to kind of give back to people. And I think that that's also a huge indicator of like leadership of saying like, you don't know a thing, but you want to learn a thing. I'm happy to take you to that next level, but it's all about learning and training and, and putting time effort into those processes really, right? That, that's what it is. If it's an individual learning level, or if it's through like a, a big platform, in any case, you have to keep the learning happening throughout your entire team. So learning obviously takes away time from implementing things in the business uh, and doing things inside of the business, whether it's for the clients internally, uh, otherwise, how do you think they justify, how do you think um, all the companies that we've talked to so far justify really the cost of training, right? Because there's a cost. They're not, obviously not hammer to nails, not put up joists, you know, stuff like that. They're not framing. So if they're not doing that, there's obviously dollars that are going out the window. How do you think they justify being able to do that? I mean, this comes to the soft costs, right? Like this is soft cost loss. If you don't know how to do a thing, right? how long is it going to take you to figure out how to do that thing? Or if you're not good at it, or you're not following the process, like how much longer is it going to take that person to do that? And then, you know, from there, depending if you're more on a, a flat rate, you know, job, or if you're doing something that it is hourly, you have to then dictate, okay, well, either I have to explain to the client or developer, whomever, that like this job went 60% over because I had a guy that didn't know how to do a thing or, if we're in a flat rate scenario, we didn't, we were not profitable where we lost, we, we lost profitability because I had to pay this person three times as much because they didn't know how to do a thing. So you have to, I think that good leaders take into consideration of like, yes, they have time that they're learning and training, which is not, you know, working time as they say, but that is going to inherently increase my profitability across the board. It also having smarter leaders in place, right? Or having smarter players in place will bring other advantages that come. And we've seen that uh, if it's, uh, you know, Sam Clark has that innovation, you know, somebody that's now in an innovation role. Like those are things because you learned and trained and came to processes and followed, you know, that's how you can get things like that, that can then scale you way past the point that you thought of. But when it comes to structure, right, and, and structure across the board, one of the things, Will, that we saw is a lot of EOS or scaling up companies. Now, we're now we're an EOS company, so maybe we're a little biased, right? Obviously, there may be a little biased since there. But in any case, like, what, you know, what do you see as the benefits to having any type of operating or operations, you know, system kind of in place for the AEC industry? So... There were a few th few common things, and it didn't really matter if it was EOS or if it was Rockefeller Habits, uh, Scaling Up. Uh, there were a few different versions, but the commonality is um, it was keeping people accountable, 
there was definitely a culture component and they were viewing, I think, decision-making through a lens and that lens kind of known by everyone. It's kind of going back to culture, but I would say there was also aspects to Tiffany Sharp kind of, kind of said it, I'm going to modify it a little bit. So RPRS, RTRT. So right person, right seat at the right time. Doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. Thank you. And what I, what I found really interesting is that that accountability measuring, right? I'm, I'm thinking like Peter Drucker here uh, can't, can't improve upon what you don't measure. So there's definitely aspects that help with measuring what they're doing to, in order to be able to improve upon it. There's an efficiency that you know, is gained in the organization by being that. So even though there might be sort of meetings more often, but there's less chaos, right? They get to a point of where there's less chaos. There's more, uh, more efficiency in sales. So and dis- maybe disqualifying more in order to get to the right opportunities. There's more efficiency in finance, so you can do more with dollars, or you're not dealing with people uh, from a financial perspective that you know don't pay on time or don't pay within, uh, you know, a cer- certain uh, in a certain way, right? We saw efficiencies even in a lot of efficiency in time waste. I would say that if there's, you know, it all surrounds soft cost time uh, of people, and they're just different ways of approaching the same you know, a few aspects, take away, take away the service, take away the product. They're all the same business problems across the board, right? And they involve people and they involve kind of the human elements of people and removing the parts of forgetfulness, the parts of, oh, I didn't think about that into a point of a framework where they don't have to think about it anymore. This is just the way it's done. We don't have to refigure out how to recreate the wheel. We don't have to refigure out how to do this when we've already done it multiple times uh, in the past. So, and really, I think it affects also quality. What I've seen, when we talk about someone saying, you know, we've got better quality than our than our competitors, what, I, what really I see is uh, attributing to is their process, and their process really being followed, defined and followed, right? It's, it's both, because otherwise, just being defined, but people not following, it's, it's not going to help anyone. And followed by all, right? Dan, right. Uh, our implementer would tell us you create a core process and then it is followed by all. That's important. Yeah. So, and, and say it's just getting people on the same page. So, there's a communication aspect of how people are communicated. So, like you said, followed by all, uh, the communication aspect of how leaders, managers, uh, and how uh, all the people kind of communicate with each other. It's a very complex system. The bigger the company, the scale behind how people communicate becomes more and more needed, like definitely focused uh, in a certain way. And I think that any one of these systems helps that in really big ways. Not having a system at all is what creates that operational chaos. And I think in eventuality, it's either they figure it out or it's the downfall of the company. I haven't seen many companies that have that are really big that don't follow some sort of we'll call it system and how they operate within their company and it's consistently executed. I no, I couldn't agree more. Uh, running on EOS for us is outstanding. So if 
anybody wants to talk about that more in depth, maybe we spring down on the podcast. I don't know, but if you want to talk about that, hit us up because it's, it's just, it's fun. It's just fun to, to do. That's also part of it. All right. Uh, let's talk about technology a little bit. Well, sure. So what have you observed, you know, in regards to building scale in a technology set? Okay. That's a loaded question. So what I found is that technology is definitely undervalued by a lot of construction companies because they don't know how to justify the cost behind it. But the, the companies that have looked at it as a strategic, uh, you know, strategically, they're going to invest money in certain places. It turns, especially the earlier they invest in it, the more of a competitive advantage it becomes. So We'll talk about sort of short-term gains versus long-term yield. Technology is, is a long-term yield gain and the benefits kind of compound over time. So I'm thinking of like a Scott Maloney where uh, his company spent like, I think it was like a mil- over a million dollars in new technology investments and it helped them when the lockdowns came, it helped them literally transition in a single day and really didn't affect their operations. They were able to continue doing business. It was a huge competitive advantage, whereas other companies were struggling or didn't even know, they were just caught with their pants down, right? So they weren't, their people were kind of not working or not doing the things that they needed to be doing. They, they were there at the time trying to figure it out during, you know, kind of emergencies, right? And then uh, Sam Clark, he, we're talking about like he's hiring uh, an innovations person. Uh, innovations no, no. has oh, no, an innovation. Oh, that's has right. an innovations person hiring a like integ- uh, software integrator. Yeah, and really looking at technology differently uh, and as a competitive advantage, and going how can we make things we're leveraging our technology to be faster and taking away the human elements that don't need to be there. And so the human mistakes, the human condition kind of gets taken out of those, those pieces. And, you know, kind of the result is the end client or the end uh, owner of, uh, you know, these projects, it obviously budget, you know, there's obviously some budgets that are in place. Well, if you shorten all of that, that time component then means that they are able to come in under budget. Another big one is Chris Winterhalter. He, uh, he was deliberate in trying to make implement as much technology as possible within his company, right? Being able to work remotely and things like that. So it's allowed him to stay very nimble. It's allowed his company to grow at an exp- exponential rate. Whereas most others are kind of stuck, you know, they're scaling, but they're stuck in the rate and the pace that they're at because they haven't put sort of the, every dollar that's being put in. Chris figured out that dollars put in into technology is actually cheaper than dollars put into a people because there's aspects of that obviously uh, he's also figured out the right places to put put it into but it's made it actually cheaper for him and more profitable for him to be able to do that uh tiffany is another one she like literally the first year was already essentially uh, playing with instead of doing excel spreadsheets and stuff like that to track expenses track projects they're like nope I'm going to do it right, right off the bat and implemented the processes with, um, with Procore, which is not a cheap software by any means. Right. But the, but the investment of Procore has allowed her to scale, 
you know, essentially four to five million dollars a year to 20 to 25 million dollar company in five years. Like, holy cow, right? So this is these type of things are deliberate, they're strategic, and they're using the technology as a competitive advantage. Whereas if competitors are not thinking about it that way, they're going, ah, I can just throw another person at it and, and I'll be fine. They're thinking very, very differently and, it's, and it shows. It shows how quickly they are growing. Yeah, Tiffany's a little, she's a, uh, a little tech. She, she is, she, she won't admit it, but she is, she's IT. She, she's totally IT. She started talking about uh, Microsoft 365 like I was talking to one of the engineers at Spot. So like, I was like, whoa, like you, and again, like, sure, you're not, she's not building out these things and doing this, but like, she knows way enough to realize how crucially important technology is and is obviously proven. Uh, proofs in the pudding, as they say. And the vocabulary is there. So Tiffany uh, is definitely a, a prime example. Same with Chris. So they're just prime examples of their vocabulary around technology and how they're leveraging it is very different from your traditional uh, from your tr- traditional construction, you know, architectural and even engineering companies. They're looking at it so differently that they even have the technology, or excuse me, they have the verbiage behind it to know how to leverage it, right, and, and how it affects their company. It's, I think it's a, going to be a key aspect to any uh, AEC company to be able to scale is how are they going to be leveraging those aspects uh, within their, within their um, company? Yeah. I've- no, completely. So uh, what I will say is one of the things we learned, A and E, a little bit more technical, just because they use, so- they use softwares as part of their day-to-day. So they are yeah, in front of computers more often. So yeah. when we think about construction specifically, um, what do you, I mean, where, what do you, why do you think they're behind the technology curve of these other industries? Like what, what, why is that the case? Well, I'd say there was a few, few things. Uh, I think it's the overall understanding of overhead versus getting paid and like doing the work. So, well, I can, you know, my guy can still, you know, throw a hammer. He can still, he can still do things out in the field. And he doesn't need that technology. He can still, you know, pour concrete. He can still do, he can still do framing. He can still do all these aspects, right, without technology. The problem is that they're not understanding the soft cost of whether it's breaking process or it's uh, the human elements of how much miscommunication happens and how leveraging technology reduces the miscommunication if done, obviously, uh, appropriately. It's also putting, spending money in the right place. Uh, the industry got burned by software providers in the last kind of 20 years. They got burned a lot. Uh, and so there was a huge distrust in software providers in doing the things that they needed uh, for essentially for the industry. So they kind of pushed off and went back to pen and paper because it worked. The other part is they didn't have the issues that let's say manufacturing had. So Gary, uh, Gary Cosmer kind of talked about it where the implementation of process uh, and sort of the offshoring initiative that happened with manufacturing and all of a sudden there was a shortage of people. Well, that's happening now. Manufacturing has already gone through, through that aspect around the shortage of labor and like needing to really, really, really change their processes and become way more efficient. There's so many dollars that are hanging out in the air because of the lack of process 
uh, that have been implemented and the onus of what happens, those dollars and the extra time really gets put, those costs get usually carried over, not to the construction company, but eventually to the owner or whoever is actually paying for the project, right? So, uh, whereas in manufacturing and a lot of other industries, they don't do that anymore and they can't. And there's a, there's a competitiveness there that the construction industry is just starting to see because of the labor shortages, if it gets worse, but they're about 10 years behind. They're like 10 years behind what many of the other industries are already doing and thinking about. And so they're not able to justify. So they're having a hard time justifying because they're going, oh, I'm going to throw people at the problem. There's also the aspect of like implementing process. Sometimes the technology can't be applied until the process has been created and then the technology supports the process. It can't work the other way around or it's very hard to make it work the other way around and mold it into what you need it's more of okay i've created the process now i need to find the technology that helps support that process automate that process and essentially reduce the mistakes uh, of that process right so just because you're following just because your people are following a process doesn't mean that's being followed 100 and then like there's a justification of costs and so jim dvorak actually uh talked a little bit about this but his people are able to do more with less because the technology is just working for them. And it's not that it happens overnight. There's a strategy behind it. So, uh, and they weren't, and initially they weren't even sure if it was the right, right path to go. But what I've seen is in any of the companies that actually look at technology, they're going, how can I reduce time of people because people are more expensive than technology. If I spend more on technology in the right places, then I can have, then I'm essentially addressing some of the shortage issues that are happening on the people side and the process and obviously supporting the process and scale. So technology is just exponentially increasing the scale of what happens on the process and people side. I was reminded of the process before technology just the other day because I'm a nerd and I, I downloaded an app to learn how to code Python because this is, you know, I'm a nerd. And I was reminded of like, yeah, well, you need to have what you want to happen in place for any technology to do anything. Like it doesn't work the other way around. Technology can't come in and say, I'm going to run your business for you and there it's going to be done and it's going to be amazing. It's no, I need to tell it what I want it to do for me. So no, I, uh, I completely, completely agree. So with that said, so Will, what do you think the biggest threat is for uh, AEC companies right now? There's, there's a few things that I think based on our conversations and kind of what I'm seeing, there's a seriousness around, seriousness and complicatedness around cybersecurity. A lot of companies know that they want it, they need it, and even, uh, and the cost of insurance, like cyber liability insurance, has gone up significantly. Right? It's not. It's gone from four thousand a year to eighteen thousand a year. Because why? Because insurance companies have been having to pay out, and even insurance companies are now, and the carriers, they're going. You know what? I'm not going to support this anymore. I'm not going to take on any any more because we've had to pay out so much. So they're so what we've, and the problem with this is that it's such an invisible threat 
It's sort of like workman's comp, right? Except that the industry doesn't understand it as well. They see it happening around them, but they don't tie it to their companies to how it could happen to their company. They're going, everything is green, therefore, why do I need it? Or they're going, I need it, but it's too expensive. And they're not looking at it as safety features in a car and really a competitive advantage for them. If anything, they probably could use it as a marketing tool. Hey, we actually invest in cybersecurity, you know, whereas our competitors don't. So your stuff is going to be safe with us and you're going to know that it's coming from us. Do you know how many construction companies, just AEC in general, where, you know, hey, where do I send the check to? But you're not actually talking to the person that you thought you were, right? The amount of times that this happens is ridiculous. There's a distrust in tech and there's slow adoption, and it's a huge threat across the board. Architectural engineering, their adoption is a little bit better only because the amount of money that they have to spend to, you know, for CAD, for rendering, uh, and for things like that. So they're leveraging technology a little bit better than, you know, the construction builder GC side, but it's not, it's only maybe by two, three years, there's a two, three year advantage you know, on essentially the C and AEC. And cybersecurity in general, I think that there's not even a budgeting around this aspect. They're thinking, you know, I've got just these basics, so therefore I'm safe. And the reality happens, or maybe it's the companies that they work with, the IT companies that they work with, that they're not even sort of helping them with that strategy. They're just allowing it to happen. And when they talk to the insurance, when construction companies talk to the insurance company and go, hey, we need cyber liability insurance, they can't even get qualified because they don't even have enough check boxes to say, hey, we're safe from you being paying out a ransom or paying out on whatever those liabilities are from a cybersecurity aspect. So I think this is the, these are some of the biggest threats from a technology perspective that's happening. And I think it's going to continue to happen unless there's a willful education where people are, where owners, operators, principals are educating themselves on how to talk about it, not just I need it, but I don't know where to go. And how do I justify the cost? There's justification. If you look in the right places, there's ways to think about and talk about it and ways to be able to increase, let's say, your, your pricing or reduce your costs, right? There are ways to do both. Otherwise, you're, you're looking at literally overnight, your company becomes not just the target. Like So construction industry is the second most targeted industry when it comes to ransoms because of the huge dollars that they deal with when it comes to vendors. And obviously, cyber, cyber um, you know, black hats, professionals that are kind of on the, the, the criminal side trying to get, get your money, they know this. And so you're low-hanging fruit. They're targeting you because they know that you're not investing that money and you're dealing with huge dollars. You're actually a better target than a bank because you can literally just pick off the money from you're the money tree. I wish I was the money tree. That's what I've always said. <laughs> so, you know, I think that there needs to be a way to increase the trust in technology and increase trust in what cybersecurity has done. Uh, and there are laws that are coming into place that are helping sort of institute that. A lot of the compliance industries have gone, you know, where compliance laws 
they're all very similar and they've been implemented on those industry, HIPAA, CMMC, things like that. Construction industry doesn't have that, but some of the states are starting to apply this onto their organizations or onto essentially all companies. And by doing that, they're essentially maturing those companies somewhat forcefully, but they're maturing those companies. So that way the risk has been reduced for those companies. That's a thing that if they don't get it through their head, they're gonna be very surprised when all of a sudden something happened. They went, I didn't know that. Just because you don't, just because you don't know, it doesn't mean that that's gonna stop the bad guy from taking all your money or stopping your business from being able to do business. And it's in so many different ways. Yeah, no, it is uh, no joke out there. I mean, we, we've uh, had people call us up and, and have nightmare scenarios that really come into, well, you didn't have a lot of things in place. So somebody's got to pay that ransom. And I hope you got a good insurance policy in place. I mean, it becomes real, real scary. So let's not, that's so, so dark and deep. Let's, let's end on a brighter note. Let's end on something, maybe yeah. what's to come. What, yeah. what is to come with the building scale? Because I think that this first season, uh, you know, that was amazing. It was tons of fun. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing this. This is, this, this has given me more joy than I, I certainly initially thought it was going to, which is amazing. And it's just brought so many people and connections together. Like, I feel like I've had a lot of conversations with people, you know, after they've been a guest um, about all kinds of different things. And it's just been really, really, really cool. So, so some of the things that come is looking at, um, we have a, a guest that I, me and Will kind of had a little jaw drop kind of moment uh, during the intro call that was essentially saying there's GCs and there's CMs, and then there's the owner representatives that really bring in massive amount of value before you start building or pulling permits or doing anything. Um, so that's one really interesting kind of uh, walkthrough that we want to get into. That's a company called Direct Steel out of, Ch- I think they're out of Chicago, right? Yeah, Chicago land. Right. Yeah, they're uh, cool. they're on the northwest uh, northwest suburbs. Yeah, far northwest suburbs, but super so I th- interesting. I think that's going to be a fun one, um, as well as one big aspect uh, or two big aspects that kind of came up. One, uh, technology, right? Using using technology and utilizing software. We've got two people lined up to talk more in depth about, hey, like technology, like you like use it, like you know, give your people the tools, just like you give your people the the right hammers, the right, you know, saws, the right, you know, uh, software for like CAD and stuff like that. Like give your people the right tools when it comes to technology and that can kind of be all over the place. So that's one thing that we're going to certainly hit on this next season. The, oh, I know we already kind of talked about this a little bit, but the creative compared to repeatable process output. Um, I think that's going to be a real fun one. That'll be next uh, the next episode after this one. So that's going to be really, really cool with Nate. And then another, go ahead. I'm excited. Will. I'm excited about this one. There's leadership, uh, the difference between leadership and management training mm-hmm. and how the two differentiate and how they need to be approached. And that's actually another thing that the construction industry totally needs because there's a whole bunch of leaders and not enough managers. And there's a huge, huge, huge difference between the two. One is, hey, follow me. You know, that's, that's leadership. And then management is essentially holding account, holding people accountable. And how do you do that to make sure that the, the entire company is moving forward? And just the really cool sort of 
views on the, what the difference is. So that's going to be, uh, that's going to be with Wally. I'm super excited for that. And then, uh, with Nate, the franchise model versus kind of the big overarching company, the, the difference between the two, and actually that being a huge company isn't necessarily better even for society, uh, and for, uh, for the consumer that sometimes, uh, doing the franchise model is actually better. And he's going to talk about that. I just found it super interesting how he talked about it. What do you think? Oh yeah, no, he's in restoration, but he's really just a philosopher is, is, uh, what I think it is because, uh, the creativity thing blew our minds, talked about, um, you know, restoration with insurance that kind of blew our mind. And then, uh, also the franchise in comparison to not and how it affects society, not even like, like, yes, he talks about the business sense of things, but also like society wise, like how this is actually affects things. So we've got a lot, a lot already teed up. There's a lot more, there's a lot more stuff that's going to come to, but those, uh, those are kind of the big things that I see this next uh, season really bringing to light kind of across the board, as well as just other just amazing, great leaders and their stories. I think that that's been a, been a thing that people have really appreciated to hear just kind of what, what I call origin stories, but not, not all our guests uh, are fans of that kind of statement. So, but all these, you know, kind of upbringing stories or stories uh, rise to success, I guess you could say. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what we've got going. Will, do you have anything else for the great people of Building Scale? Well, if anyone wants to be on our podcast, we would love to hear and if there's any questions that people have uh, or they think that we should be bringing uh, anyone on our podcast would love to hear from you and uh, we'll put the information in the show notes so yeah super interested don't be shy connect with us we uh, we don't bite so uh, all right well then everything go in the show notes and until next time adios adios Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.